Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Good evening, children of the night. Come on into the cabin. These nights have been pretty warm. It's cool and dark in here. And you've arrived on a particularly special evening. Tonight will be the first of our episodes featuring nominees from the Stokers this year. Better late than never. We have three episodes featuring five of the six stories. One we're unable to air due to some conflict involving legalities. We'll still hear about that author, just unfortunately not his story. Before we get into that, as secondary result of our begging you for cash, we did receive quite an influx of encouragement as well. As I remarked to Mona Jones on Facebook, Tales to Terrify runs on money. I run on positive feedback. So everyone who sent some to us by the way of Facebook or to Tales to Terrify at gmail.com, thank you. Included in all of that were several people who had commented on my transitioning from our home in Chicago to the mountains of Virginia fondly. I think that this summer we should go on a bit of a road trip, maybe south to, well, let's say, Savannah. I spent a day there, and it seemed like a rather magical place. But first, we will remain in our existing digs and hear from the Stoker nominees. First up, let's talk about the story we won't be hearing tonight. Hal Bodner's Hot Tub, originally published in Hell Comes to Hollywood 2, 22 More Tales of Tinseltown Terror, Volume 2. 
Published by Big Time Books is our first Stoker nominee. However, unfortunately, there were some contractual conflicts, and we won't be airing this story this evening. But anyone who is going to wind up with at least a nomination for Superior Achievement, we're going to at least read their bio. Hal Bodner is the author of the best-selling gay vampire novel, Bite Club. He tells people he was born in East Philadelphia because so few people know where Cherry Hill, New Jersey is located. The first person he saw in his life was C. Everett Koop, future U.S. Surgeon General who delivered him. Thus, Hal was ironically destined to become a heavy smoker. He moved to West Hollywood in the 1980s and has rarely left the city limits during the past 20 years. Hal is so WeHo-centric that he cannot find his way around Beverly Hills the next town over. Hal has been an entertainment lawyer, a scheduler for a 976 sex telephone line, a theater reviewer, and the personal assistant to a television star. For a while, he owned Heavy Petting, a pet boutique where all the movie stars shopped for their Pomeranians. Currently, he owns an exotic bird shop. He has never been a waiter. He lives with assorted dogs and birds, the most notable of which is a 80-year-old, irritable, flesh-eating military macaw named after his icon, Tallulah. He often quips he is a slave to fur and feathers and regrets only that he isn't referring to mink and marabou. He does not have cats because he tends to sneeze on them. Rapidly approaching middle age, assuming that more than a few hundred-year-old people are still around, he remembers Nixon. He got married, very late in life, to an incredible man. Sadly, after five amazing with turbulent years, he was widowed and can sometimes be found sunbathing at his husband's grave while trying to avoid cemetery caretakers screaming at him to put his shirt back on. Hal recently took a crack at writing erotic paranormal romance, which he refers to as supernatural smut, with in flesh and stone and for love for the dead. While he enjoyed writing them immensely, he has resolved to return to his comedic roots with additional Chris and Troy novels and the adventures of reluctant superhero The Whirlwind. He blushes to admit he is currently romantically involved with a man roughly half his age. As a result, he has recently discovered that the use of hair dye is evidently not an adequate replacement for Viagra. Congratulations, Hal. We'll see if we can find something else of yours to read for the fine listeners of Tales to Terrify. We will hear one Stoker story this evening, two next week, and then the following we will hear the two that tied for first for one slightly longer episode. First up, Damien Angelica Walters' work has appeared or is forthcoming in various anthologies and magazines, including The Year's Best Dark Fantasy and Horror, 2015, Year's Best Weird Fiction, Volume 1, Nightmare Magazine, Black Static, and Apex Magazine. She was a finalist for a Bram Stoker Award for The Floating Girls, a documentary originally published in Jemavu. Sing Me Your Scars, a collection of short fiction, and was released in 2015 from Apex Publications. Paper Tigers, a novel, is forthcoming in 2016 from Dark House Press. Writing as Damien Walters Grintalis, her short fiction appeared in magazines such as Beneath Ceaseless Skies, Strange Horizons, and Interzone. And a novel, Inc., was released in December 2012 by Sam Hain Publishing. 
She's also a freelance editor, and until the magazine's closing in 2013, she was an associate editor of the Hugo Award-winning speculative fiction magazine, Electric Velocipede. She lives in Maryland with her husband and two rescued pit bulls. The story that we will be hearing tonight that gave her a Stoker nomination is The Floating Girls, a documentary, originally appearing in J. Vu, issue three from Postmortem Press. The floating girls are all but forgotten now. It's easier to pretend they didn't exist, to pretend it didn't happen. But there are parents who still keep bedrooms captured in time, complete with clothes folded in bureau drawers and diaries tucked beneath pillows. Everything in its place, waiting. And there are friends who still gaze at the sky, wondering how far the girls floated and if they ever fell. Some of us haven't forgotten. Some of us never will. Twelve years ago, three hours after the sunset on the 2nd of August, nearly 300,000 girls between the ages of 11 and 17 vanished. Eyewitness reports state that the girls floated away. Yet even now, Many of those eyewitnesses have recanted their stories or simply refused to talk about it at all. The girls lived in cities, in the suburbs, in the country. They lived in first world and third world countries. They were only children. They were one of many siblings. They were of all ethnicities and religious backgrounds. They were everyone and anyone. And after that night in August, they were... No more. I've found plenty of evidence decrying the phenomenon. But there are lists. Lists of the girls who disappeared. Those who claim it's all bullshit provide other lists. Girls who vanished and were found years later. The runaways. The girls involved in ugly custody battles who were spirited away by either custodial or non-custodial parents. The girls whose decomposing bodies were recovered from forests, old drain pipes, beneath concrete patios. But none of those girls were floating girls, only gone girls. The reports always conveniently leave that out. I wonder about the evidence I haven't found that doesn't exist. It seems like there should be so much more. And how many girls who vanished were never reported? And why just girls? And why just these girls? As far as I can tell, very few scientists or statisticians studied the phenomenon itself. No one counselled the families. No one dug through the chaos to find the facts. Like certain religious or political scandals, everyone wanted to brush it under the rug. Maybe it made a strange sort of sense at the time. I don't know. Jessie and I grew up next door, in a tiny corner of suburbia. You know the sort. Backyard cookouts, running through the sprinklers, drinking water from the hose, playing tag. Perfectly charming. The sort of childhood that screams ideal. 
the sort of childhood that could take place anywhere, in any town, not just our little corner of Baltimore, Maryland. Our backyards were separated by a row of hedges with spaces in between, perfectly sized for someone to walk through. We would flit from yard to yard. Mine had the swing set and the sprinkler, hers the sandbox and hammock, and house to house, nearly inseparable, spinning circles, and holding hands while we chanted, Jesse and Tracy, best friends forever. My strongest memory is how she and I spent countless hours catching fireflies. We'd keep them inside glass jars with holes poked in the lids so they wouldn't die. And we'd invent stories that the fireflies were princesses trapped in the bodies. And the lights were their way of calling for help because they couldn't speak. And every night we'd let them go, watching until they blinked out of sight, pretending they were off to find their mothers, their princes, the witches who'd cursed them. I think you only truly make those sorts of friendships in childhood. When you get older, you know better than to let people in. You know they'll only disappoint you in the end. Video interview with Karen Michaels of Monmouth, Oregon, March 17th, 2010. A woman is sitting in a cramped, dingy kitchen. A lit cigarette clutched tightly between two fingers, an overflowing ashtray by her side. She grimaces at the camera and looks down at her cigarette. Her face is worn and heavily lined, her shoulders hunched forward. Thank you for agreeing to talk to me, Mrs. Michaels. I know this is difficult. Mrs. Michaels takes a drag from her cigarette, exhales the smoke loudly. Call me Karen, okay? Okay, Karen. I know it's been a long time, but can, to, can you tell me what happened that night, August 2nd? She waves a hand, holding the cigarette. I know what night you're talking about. Another inhale from her cigarette. Another exhale. Nina had problems with sleepwalking when she was a kid. Used to drive me crazy. For a couple of years, I had to lock her bedroom door from the outside to keep her in the house. You got kids? No. That's right. You already told me you didn't. Who knows? Maybe you're lucky. Anyway, that night... The night Nina floated. It had been years since she walked in her sleep. I heard her go down the steps and I followed her. She went out the front door and stood on the lawn, staring down at her feet like this. Mrs. Michael stubs out her cigarette and stands, with her arms straight and her head down, her hands held out a few inches from her body. I thought she was sleepwalking again, that's all. So I stayed on the front porch. I was getting ready to go get her, grab her arm and take her back in because I had to get up early the next morning. But then she went up, just up, like a balloon. I, I... Video cuts off, returns. Mrs Michaels is wiping her eyes. Are you sure you're okay? Yeah, sure. 
I'm fine. I... So, so she went up. And I thought... I don't know what I thought. I ran and tried to grab her. But she was already up too far. I touched the side of her foot. But I guess... I guess I was just too late. She grabs another cigarette and lights it. Her voice is barely audible when she speaks again. I let her go. I didn't know what else to do. So I let her go. Her head snaps up. She looks straight into the camera. Everyone told me not to talk about it. It's like, it's like she never existed at all. But she did. She did. No one cared that she was gone. No one. Do you really think this thing, your project, will help? I'd like to think it will, yes. She made a sound low in her throat. Will you tell me what Nina was like? She was like every other kid. Listened to her music too loud. Left her dirty clothes on the floor. Griped about her chores. But she didn't run around wild or anything like that. She didn't drink or do drugs. What was your relationship with Nina like? Normal. I mean, we had fights, but nothing really serious. She was always in her room, reading or listening to music. What about with her siblings? Her father? Everyone was fine. Everything was fine. There was a long pause. She looks away with tears in her eyes. Video ends. Jessie's father died the year we turned eight. I remember black clothing, tears, confusion and the smell of flowers. At some point, she and I snuck out into her backyard and played in the sandbox. I don't remember what we talked about or if we talked about anything at all. But I remember how we slipped out of our dress shoes and wriggled our toes through the warm top layer of sand to the cool beneath. I remember the scent of honeysuckle thick in the air. Recording of a telephone interview, July 28th, 2012. You're not going to use my name, right? I don't want you to use my name. No, I won't. Good, okay. Tell me what you think happened on the night of August the 2nd. All I can tell you is what I saw. The kid was hanging in the air in her backyard, looking like some kind of angel. Only, not the kind you can see through. I mean, she wasn't wearing anything like an angel would. I think she had on some kind of dress. But nothing like you see in pictures of angels or anything like that. Then, she went straight up. Craziest damn thing I ever saw. I kept thinking it was the beer. I only had a couple, maybe three, but... Did you do anything? 
What could I do? Hell, by the time I figured out my eyes wasn't playing tricks, she was high up. I mean, really high up. You told the authorities what you saw? Yeah, I told them. A lot of good that did me. They said I was crazy or drunk. People can't float. But I know what I saw, and that girl just floated up and away. Did you know anything about her? No. She was just the kid who lived next door. She kept to herself. The whole family did. I mean, they were nice enough, just not real friendly. Is there anything else you'd like to say? You're not going to use my name for this thing, right? I don't want my name used. No, sir. As I said before, I won't use your name. Jessie and I started to drift apart the summer she turned eleven, about a year after her mum remarried. I'd ask her to come over and catch fire. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. And she'd say no. I'd invite her to spend the night. She'd say no. I spent countless nights crying, trying to figure out what I'd done, because best friends didn't stop talking to each other unless something was wrong. My mother said, Tracy, honey, that's what happens with friends sometimes. Don't worry. Maybe she's just going through a phase. You are becoming young women, you know. I know she was only trying to help. But I wanted everything to go back to the way it had been, not the way it was. 
Video footage, dated August the 2nd, 2002. Video opens with a scene of a backyard, complete with a hot tub, a fire pit, and tables and chairs set up for a party. There's a break in the video. When it returns, the sky is full dark, and a party is in full swing. No children are present. The camera captures several people saying, Hello! to the cameraman. There's a break in the filming. And when it returns, the camera is stationary, capturing a wide view of the partygoers. Five minutes, six seconds. A pale blotch can be seen in the far left corner, above a row of well-trimmed hedges. Five minutes, eight seconds. The blotch is larger, the shape completely visible over the hedge. Five minutes, ten seconds. While the partygoers continue to drink and laugh, the blotch continues to rise. Video editing enhancement of the last few seconds before the blotch disappears from the film clearly shows a young girl in her early teens, her face solemn, rising up through the air. Note. Records state the video was taken by Jack Stevenson of Denver, Colorado. Repeated attempts to contact Mr. Stevenson have been unsuccessful. By the time I was twelve, the drift between Jessie and I had become a crevasse. We weren't even on speaking terms. She was just a girl I used to know. As kids do, I'd made new friends. And sure, her rejection of our friendship hurt. And sometimes I'd look over the fence to see if she was outside. But I was a kid. Just a stupid kid. How was I supposed to know? Photograph A. Photo shows a baobab tree and a girl beside it. On closer inspection, the girl's feet are hovering about a foot from the ground. The girl is looking away from the camera. The back of the photograph reads, August 2nd, Sharugui, Zimbabwe. Note. Photograph provided by one of the girl's family members, who asked to remain anonymous. For that reason, the name of the girl is also withheld. Photograph B. The central image is the Eiffel Tower in Paris, France. On the far right of the photo, a girl is suspended in the air. Her arms held in the distinct way described by many others, her face serene. Using the tower as a point of measure, she is approximately 1,050 feet in the air. Note. Image found on a website, claiming it was manipulated digitally. However, no evidence of alteration can be found in the image itself. The girl in the photograph has not yet been identified. Photograph C. Photo of Trakai Castle, south of Vilnius, Lithuania, taken by Alhemantus Serunis of Chicago, Illinois, while on vacation. A girl's head and shoulders are visible above the westernmost tower of the castle. Note, the girl has been tentatively identified as Ruta Gramela. Attempts to contact her family have been unsuccessful.
when I was 14. Jessie showed up at the back door one night. I was blaring music and eating the last of the mint chocolate chip ice cream, knowing my dad would pretend to make a big deal about the empty container, and my mum would roll her eyes at the both of us. My parents weren't home, and yes, I've wondered more than once if it would have made a difference. Yeah, I remember saying. I was wondering if uh, maybe you wanted to hang out for a little bit, she asked. Her voice whisper thin, her eyes all red like she'd been crying. Behind the red, there was a strange emptiness, a hollow where laughter had once lived. I remember being surprised, more at her request than her eyes. Although I'd made new friends, she hadn't. She skulked through the halls at school like a ghost. She sat alone in the cafeteria at lunchtime and with her shoulders hunched in class. She wore baggy clothing and kept her head down, so her hair almost covered her face. After school, she walked home alone. I can't, sorry. I have a math test tomorrow. I have to study for. Oh, okay. She stood for a minute, towing the doormat with the tip of her shoe. See you around then? Sure. But I lied. There was no math test. I just didn't want to talk to her. Video footage of interview with Sheriff Joseph Miller, Brookhaven, Pennsylvania, September the 9th, 2008. No, none of it's true. I have no idea why you'd even want to talk about it. So why do you think everyone reported the same thing? I don't have an answer to that. Maybe it's because it really happened. He glares into the camera. Look, it didn't. A bunch of kids ran away. A bunch more people got upset and invented some story about floating. But three girls from your own town vanished. His expression changes and he crosses his arms over his chest. Yeah? Don't you think that's suspect? Sometimes kids, especially girls, run away together. It happens. And what if I told you those girls weren't even friends? Didn't even go to the same schools? He sighs heavily, looks at some spot in the distance and shakes his head in dismissal. We're done here. Some of us have real work to do. On August 2nd, 2002, the summer Jessie and I were 15. I was in the backyard on a blanket staring at the stars, waiting for one to fall so I could make a wish. My parents were out at the movies, and other than the crickets chirping, the neighbourhood was quiet. Jessie's kitchen door opened. It had a funny little squeak that all the oil in the world wouldn't fix, and Jessie walked out into the yard. All the lights in her house was, were off, 
and she was little more than a shadow flitting across the grass. I hunched down on the blanket and watched through the hedges. She stood still in the middle of her yard for several minutes, with her head down, her hands fisted at her sides. I thought about calling her name. I know I did. But then, her hands relaxed, her arms extended slightly, and she lifted her chin to stare straight ahead. And then, she lifted off the ground. She was a foot in the air, before I realised it wasn't an illusion, before I was able to do anything other than blink. I scrambled to my feet, told her to stop, and raced through the hedges, scratching my upper arms to hell in the process. I shouted her name, called out for my parents, for her parents, for anyone. Jessie never looked down. Not once. I stood right underneath her, waving my arms and yelling at her to come back until my legs couldn't hold me up any more. And my throat was too thick to speak. My parents found me in the backyard when they got home. I was on the blanket, sitting with my grass-stained knees up to my chin, crying. I told them how Jessie just floated and kept on floating until I couldn't see her anymore. Until she was gone. I saw the disbelief in their eyes. My father went over to Jessie's house, knocked on the door, and came back shrugging his shoulders after no one answered. My mum pressed her hand against my forehead, proclaiming I had a fever, and sent me to bed. I stayed there for three days. Jessie's parents told the police she ran away. Video footage of an attempted interview on August 18th, 2011, with John Gelvin from Brawley, California, whose daughter Rosie, age 13, is still listed as missing. Documents show she was reported as a floating girl. Other documents show that Child Protective Services had been called on at least one occasion before Rosie's disappearance, but no further action from CPS can be found. Sir, you said you saw Rosie float. No, no, I didn't, sorry. You're the one who's mistaken. She ran away. But I have a report here, a police report that says, Leave me alone. Just leave me alone. I tried to tell people the truth. My parents continued to blame the fever. When I told Jessie's parents, her mother's eyes filled with tears, the silent, terrifying kind. Her stepfather told me to leave their house and never come back. They moved away a few months later and didn't tell anyone where they were going. People at school thought I was crazy even after the other reports came out. Jessie was just another trouble kid who ran away. It happened every day, no big deal. If I'd been an adult, if I hadn't seen Jessie float away, 
I wonder if I would have been as dismissive. Possibly. Probably. I wanted to tell the truth so many times, but no one would listen. Graffiti on the side of a building in Rapid City, South Dakota, June the 8th, 2013, in the section of the city known as Art Alley. Silence is its own form of helium. Note, according to a local artist who asked not to be named, the graffiti was originally written on the building in September of 2002 and she's been repainting it as needed ever since. When asked if she knew the identity of the original artist, or thought that the statement was related to the floating girls, she declined to answer. Eventually, I stopped talking about it. About Jessie. I didn't forget her. But it was too hard to keep trying to explain what I saw to people who refused to believe it. I finished high school, moved out of state for college, dropped out in my second year and came back home. When my parents decided to sell their house and move to Florida, I found a box of photos in the attic. Pictures of me and Jessie when we were young. Pictures of us holding our firefly jars. Grinning crazy kid smiles. Those smiles that scream innocence. Our eyes were filled with laughter and happiness and hope. And I remember her eyes the night she came over. The night I turned her away. We all have a secret spot tiny light inside us and it doesn't take much to make that light go out it doesn't take much to extinguish that light forever as I carried the photos out to my car I decided to do something I'm not sure if I decided to do it for Jessie or for the others or for me but I don't think it matters I'm not a 15-year-old girl anymore, and I've spent years digging for proof, searching for the truth. Maybe now, people will listen, and maybe they'll start talking. Excerpt from A Study into the Phenomenon of the Floating Girls, dated November 2002. Author not cited. Given a lack of concrete evidence to the phenomenon, and with evidence that a percentage of the girls were from troubled homes and had a history of running away, we can only conclude there was no phenomenon, only a strange set of coincidental circumstances. It is also noted there was a heavy incidence of fog in the northwestern states, which may explain the visual oddities noted here. Reports from other countries are sketchy at best, with most being reported well after the disappearances in the United States, leading this researcher to determine that they were copying the phenomenon, perhaps in hope of cashing in on the notoriety. More research is needed. Note.
there is no evidence that any further research was conducted. I live 20 minutes away from the house I grew up in. Kids still play in sandboxes. They still catch fireflies and run through sprinklers. At night, I stare at the sky and wonder if the girls are still floating. I think they are, and we just can't see them. I tell Jessie, I'm sorry, but the word seems so fucking inadequate. I should have been there for her. I should have listened. And after? I should have kept talking. Hell, I should have screamed and shouted. But I didn't. No one did. For Jessie, Tracy Richardson, Director, The Floating Girls Project, Baltimore, Maryland, 2014. That was Damien Angelica Walters' The Floating Girls, a documentary as read by Marg Essex. Margaret Essex lives on the beautiful, far south coast of New South Wales, Australia, with her long-suffering husband, a happy hound, and the cat who rules. She spends time gardening, seed-saving, cheese-making, making music, and loves to be at a table of food and wine with friends and family. Thank you, Marg. That will be our show for the evening. Join us again next week for two more of the Stoker Award nominees here on Tales to Terrify. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit Juvederm.com.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 